Dennis says to sit down and be quiet. He wants to ruin your, your fellowship time so that we can keep on schedule. Donna. We're on a schedule. Soul care later. Okay, are you guys ready? We're in James chapter 2. This is about favoritism, which is super exciting and very convicting. Are you ready? My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? My brothers and sisters, has the Lord not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? But if you really keep the royal law found in scripture to love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For anyone who keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So speak and act as those who will be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 1 through something. I'm not going to be here next week, guys. Who's doing it? Someone has to do it. You already turned me off. Whoever wants to uh, do the memory for next week, it's uh, James 2, 14 to 26. You are welcome. Any of you are welcome to that. The Word of God. The Word of God. Thank you, Mariah, for... Uh, just the privilege to hear the Word of God recited from memory. Thank you for taking the time to hide it in your heart for our benefit. You know, it reminds me of uh, some of the churches in China who have a, a, a shortage of Bibles. What they will often do is break up the Bible into chunks and they'll give it to the members and the members will memorize it and so when the pastor is preaching, he, he will say, or she will say, who's got Isaiah 61? And that person in the church will stand up and recite that scripture. It's because of the number of 
Bibles and versions and everything we have today, we're, we're in a way practically discouraged from memorizing it. We have it on our devices. But uh, the psalmist did say that I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin. So um, my prediction is that Mariah's sin level has gone down somewhat since she did this. Now, as expected, this series, Let's Walk the Talk with Jesus, has been touching on a number of areas where traditional American Christianity, and let's face it, we are part of the traditional American Christianity, even if we are slightly above average, uh, we are part of that. And this book touches on things that hit close to home where our practice does not walk the talk with Jesus, where our practice is different from that. Jamie's message last week, uh, I don't know about you, but that got through to me. And I know that this week uh, there were three specific points of disobedience in my life, and one of those was to repent of a prideful attitude uh, that I had towards someone. And uh, it was under that last bit of that last part of the passage that said, uh, and don't be polluted by the world. It is pollution of the world in my spirit to have a prideful attitude over someone else. And then as I worked through this week's message, I decided that I needed to act in mercy towards someone uh, who had been judgmental towards me. So I am uh, getting worked over, and so I just say that as a prelude to how God's going to work you over right now. Uh, but that is, that is what has been happening. Today, uh, James starts this section... Um, with a, uh, as if to remind us that Jesus deserves to have his word obeyed, that he is uh, introduced in chapter 2 with this incredible title. You won't find that anywhere else in the scripture. It is the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, the majestic Messiah the majestic messianic king and ruler who literally exudes the Shekinah glory of God. That's what that title means. This is who we are now speaking to. And he will go on to say that it is this glorious Shekinah-filled messianic king who is now telling us that he cannot dwell in favoritism. He cannot dwell in favoritism. And he will spend the first four verses saying no favoritism allowed. He'll spend verses 5 to 7 saying that it is against the wisdom of everything you've already experienced in life. And then he'll finish in verses 8 to 13 telling us that it is wholly against Scripture as he has spoken the word. And this favoritism is pervasive. And the more I meditated on it and the more I thought about it, it is pervasive in my life in many, many hidden ways. 
And so uh, as we come to this, we are going to be looking at this problem of favoritism. And I just encourage you to open your hearts to how God wants to speak to you about that. But uh, I want to also, before I dive into that, I want to speak to the remedy. Because the remedy is God himself and for us to be more like God, to be more obedient to Jesus. And I, I want to illustrate this uh, by a line from the movie The Shack or the book and movie The Shack. I don't agree with everything in this movie or book, but I commend it to you as a wonderful example of redemptive love. And in this book, uh, God says to everyone he speaks to, I'm especially fond of you. And God, in his infinite, eternal, never-ending capacity, can actually say, I'm especially fond of you. Why can he say that? Well, It's not only his infinite capacity, but it is his understanding as our creator that he's put things into each and every one of us that are his thumbprints, that he knit us together in our mother's wombs, and he has declared that there is something beautiful about each and every one of us that he has made. He doesn't make mistakes. So he invites us to see others the way he sees us and therefore to escape the claws of favoritism. Now, both the Old and the New Testaments agree God hates favoritism and he is not a respecter of person. He is not partial. In Proverbs, we hear that uh, he says to show partiality and judging is not good. In Romans 2.11, he says, For God does not show favoritism. And then in 1 Timothy 5, he says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. And this is actually the section in 1 Timothy 5 where he's talking about elders in the church, the leaders of the church. And he's saying... First of all, don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless there's two or three witnesses. But then he says, if there is an elder who has sinned, they must be rebuked publicly. This only happened once in the 15 years that I've been here. here. But it is this failure to rebuke elders who have sinned publicly that has gotten a number of churches in trouble for things that have been done by the leaders of that that church. So, what is Jesus and what is James here actually talking about when he says favoritism? Well, the word is a really long Greek, one of the longest Greek words in the New Testament uh, that's a combo word, and it means literally to take the face. It literally means to choose on the basis of the face or what it looks like on the cover. To choose, it literally means to judge the book by its cover. And so 
he's saying that preferring anyone on the basis of appearances, external characteristics, or conformity to oneself or one's group, partiality, this, this is favoritism. And favoritism is built into our DNA as human beings. We experience classism. We experience racism. We experience elitism. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, If you love those who, y- who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And so Jesus is speaking against this tendency for us to clique up, to join in together, to be with people like us, people who agree with us, people who do what we do. And this has had a horrible effect on the church. Mohandas Gandhi, who for a time in his life seriously investigated Christianity, he actually found the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus totally enthralling. But when he went to the Christian church, and he did this in India, and he did it in his season of life in South Africa, he experienced uh, something altogether different. And he ended up rejecting Christianity on the basis of this experience where churches, preachers showed a disdain for anyone with a Hinduism background. And this uh, has been documented by a number of scholars. And I wonder, and, and is the basis for his statement, I like the Christ, but I don't much care for the Christians. But this was, this was what led him away from the church. Now, he will be responsible for whatever choices he makes, but favoritism takes place across so many different categories. Um, And this morning, I'd like to cover four of them. And I don't think I've gotten the whole whole of it, but uh, as time permits. So number one, it is uh, favoritism on the basis of social status or appearance. Uh, This is what James directly speaks to, where he refers to the person who's wealthy, who comes into the meeting uh, with fancy clothing on. And James is speaking directly to that. So he's addressing wealth, but he's not addressing education, where we uh, often show favoritism. He's not addressing your work status or the type of work you do. But it's, uh, it's often been my experience that if a high-ranking person from P&G comes to church. That's a big matter for uh, celebration and attention. And over and over and over again, God teaches us that it is not what someone looks like. In the selection of the new king who would replace Saul, Samuel goes to Bethlehem and he meets uh, Jesse and he meets son one. Nope. Son two, nope. And they get all the way down to son number eight. And David, the runt of the litter, comes along. 
and people are amazed and God tells Samuel, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now this problem of somebody coming into our meeting and uh, being treated uh, with special consideration uh, and the one who's not favored asked to sit on the floor, we don't have to worry about that, especially around uh, 9 o'clock to 9.05 and 11 o'clock to 11.05. We got plenty of seats. We got plenty of seats. But it, it, takes, it takes effort. We have had people come on Sunday morning genuinely seeking God and they smell terrible. We have had people come who have obviously been in a brawl the night before. We've had people who have come in genuinely looking for God that have been prayed for. We've had people come in who haven't had a shower in a long while. And we've had people in this church who've been willing to take them home for a shower and drive them to a ministry where they can get help. So I'm, I'm blessed, but we still, we still have testimonies of people who've come in um, who have not been looked at, who have not been greeted, who have not, been, who have not felt welcome here. And sometimes that's on the other person. But most of the time it's on us. Most of the time it's on us. And we have alternatively many stories where people have come in and someone has said, let's go to lunch today. And that has been the deciding factor of becoming part of this church. So uh, again, this is a common challenging problem that we have to always be, always be on the lookout for. And I want to especially say if someone comes who's African American or Hispanic or Asian that we have to we have to work overtime to make those new people feel welcome. And that involves all of us. It's not the staff's job. It's not the it's not the pastor's job. It's not Mark Symes' job only. It's all of us. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Now, another broad area of favoritism is peer pressure even though this peer pressure is often unintended. Uh, it anchors around the idea of people-pleasing. It, it, it comes around things like how you've chosen to do school and do, do the homeschoolers sit with the homeschoolers and do the public school people sit with the public school people. It is around voting choices. And we've had to make some... Uh, elders have had to write up some guidelines for the coming election cycle. Um, car choices, vehicle choices. Now, we all know that the official parenting vehicle of Marymount Church is the Honda Odyssey. <laughs> but not everyone can handle or afford a Honda Odyssey. But they're, they're little things. The, the, way, the ways we choose to dress... Sometimes. When I started here 15 years ago, it was the pattern of the pastor to wear a shirt and tie and a suit. And in the, in the 
in the uh, traditional service to wear a robe. And I did not, I did not feel comfortable with that. But there was a lot of pressure for a, a long time on that subject. Uh, and we can even get into it in our small groups where we surround ourselves with, you know, the same spiritual gifts. And we, we focus in on that. This favoritism comes in lots of different ways. But Paul... If it says, you know, if you're focused on the Shekinah glory of the Messiah, if I'm focused on the Shekinah glory of the Messiah, then these things can be defeated. Paul goes on to say, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? This is Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so this, whatever it boils down to, this clickism, this, this tendency to hang around with birds of a feather, we've got to acknowledge that as divisive and, and sinful that gets in the way of what God wants to accomplish. Now this verse has transformed my life because this is clearly telling me that I can't, I can't be in the in crowd pleasing people and be a servant of Christ. We belong to each other. We were purchased at a price and we no longer have authority over our own lives. The Messiah does. The Messiah is the one who owns us now. Those of us who have decided to follow Christ. Now, the third section I want to talk about is popularity or celebrity. This uh, is an age-old problem, by the way. It starts in elementary school and uh, in the playground. I see it happening here all the time. And by middle school lunch hour, it becomes an art form. Who are you sitting with? We spend a ton of time with our youth group teaching them that this youth group is a no-slam zone. This youth group is we are all together. We are one. And guys, when girls, when you go to school, sit with different people. Break those patterns. Be like Christ who goes into every section of society and speaks the truth. But we've also got it with celebrity pastors, uh, comparison of attendance or podcast audience or followers on Twitter, books or songs. One pastor did an experiment. He stood in the lobby of his church beside a person who was relatively new, who was a, a greeter. And 99.9% of the people walking by stopped to talk to the pastor and only one person in the whole experiment stopped to talk to the person who was standing alone beside uh, the pastor. The, these these uh, celebrity pastors, amazingly, they go on in some cases to fall away from the faith. They fall away from the faith 
and then they want all their followers to come with them. They're actually explaining why they're doing what they're doing in the hope that people will follow them into that. It's absolutely absurd. But because they write books, because they give podcasts, because they write songs, then they have influence. And in contrast to that, we have unknown servants all over the United States, and not to mention unknown servants all over Africa, whose church planting networks are 10 times bigger than the biggest church in America. And no one's ever heard of them. And since Jesus didn't tell us the names of the 72 he sent out, I doubt that his preference is for celebrity Christians of any kind. And uh, I could go on. I could go on. But Paul dealt with this topic in Galatians chapter 2, verse 6. He said, As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. He's here referring to the founding apostles in Jerusalem. But he's also separately talks about the super apostles who were traveling around, who were well-known and, and uh, famous orators. And I'm, I just want to say I'm very cautious to listen to a lot of sermons on podcasts. Not because I don't have anything to learn, but what I find is if I'm listening to a sermon about a certain passage, like James chapter 2, for example, I'm going to get that pastor's message out of that passage for that congregation on that day. And it may have very little to do with what God wants to do with this pastor in this congregation on this day. And the Word of God is living and active and it can't just be broadcast out of context. It can't be broadcast out of context because he wants to say something here this morning and he wants it said by someone whose life is accountable to who's saying it. See what I'm saying? And that, that is what makes this book and this message so challenging is I have to bring things that are going to critique or maybe rub you the wrong way, but I have to be accountable for it myself, right? So uh, this, is, this is favoritism. It runs in crazy demonic circles all around the church. And it, it comes in a fourth way, which I'll end with here as far as talking about the problem. Then I'm going to start talking about the solution. Uh, it, it's a huge problem in the church when we think about race civil status or gender whether you are a Jew or a Gentile or whether you are white or black or whether you are uh, Hispanic or Asian um, there, there is favoritism there is favoritism around civil status whether you are a slave or a free person somebody who has a criminal record and has come out of uh, the jail system uh, these 
uh, all happen. And yes, gender happens as well. I'm so grateful for our new mission relationship because uh, we are learning to walk with our brothers and sisters who have been uh, subjected to abuse for centuries in this country. And we're learning from them. We're having a meeting in a couple of weeks to digest what did we learn when we did the joint service together. And we're going to find ourselves speaking about some significant differences. We're going to be speaking about some things where we really rubbed each other the wrong way. And we know that. There's, there's going to be a, a, a number of these things. And that this is going to teach us how to move ahead and how to break through some of these favoritism, the favoritisms that took place in the lead up to that day and on that morning. Despite all the good things we were trying to accomplish, we still walked in favoritism. We still made significant errors. But we're going to talk about it and we're going to learn and grow from it. We've had a number of returning felons come out of the justice system and be in this congregation. One of those now has a ministry that we are supporting and in relationship with, Sheila Luther. But there have been many others who have an impossible time finding a job. An impossible time. Their debt to society is paid, but this, this felony hangs over them for the rest of their life in terms of finding employment, finding housing. These are things that uh, absolutely go against, go against what the scriptures teach. It's time for them to receive, to receive mercy, to, to be forgiven and to be incorporated back into life so they have a chance. If they're welcomed in a church, they have a fighting chance of changing their lifestyle. Uh, and then uh, we've got the gender, the gender issues. And uh, in many parts of the church, women not, are not being fully released in their gifts. They're not being given uh, the opportunities uh, to use their gifts. I'm so grateful for Donna's ministry in this congregation and, and in the city. But I'm also grateful for her helping to release Misty into her ministry. Into her ministry. The pastor at the gas bar. She has a shepherd's heart. She has the gift of pastoring, of shepherding. And so... Uh, Paul said it this way, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all are all one in Christ Jesus. That puts us on level ground at the foot of the cross. But I would also add to this children and the elderly. There is age discrimination, age favoritism in the church. We want to let the old people go. And I'm so grateful that this is a value in this congregation that we honor the aged. 
that we honor them in, in ministries, we honor them in shepherding, we honor them in a variety of ways, but I don't know that we always do that kind of job. And then children, and I'm going to speak to you children right now. You looking at me? You children. I want to speak to you because you are part of the church too. There is no junior Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. And I have seen you pray for people. I've seen you pray for people. And Amanda, who's here today, was telling me last week that her nine-year-old, eight-year-old daughter, Eliana, prays for her. And when she prays for her, the headaches go away. The headaches go away. She's seven years old, eight years old, and she has a healing gift that she is being encouraged to use. And so these are all different aspects of favoritism that ruins people and churches and communities. The effects of favoritism are discrimination. Discriminating against the poor, James equates to murder. There's disobedience and dishonor, which God equates, James equates to adultery. There's this blaspheming of the name of God. This is what happened to Mahatma Gandhi. He did not run into the God that he was looking for. There's sin, of course, the breaking of the law. There's guilt and there's judgment. And the absurdity of disobedience just weighs on everyone who experiences that. And they feel that they are on the outside. And when we come into contact with someone who's different from us, we may be uncomfortable. We may look at them and go, oh my gosh, they have needs. They have needs for clothing or time or money or counsel or whatever. And we instantly begin calculating the cost of that. And what Jesus wants us to do is to recognize that He's asked us to count that cost before following him. Because we aren't our own anymore. We belong to him and he sends someone to us. And I'm not talking about putting hours and hours and hours and hours into people who are not interested in changing. That's just bad. I'm talking about that recognizing and meeting of needs selflessly as he taught us in the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? So it's that willingness to be used. Now, the great liberator knew exactly how to do this favoritism thing. If you go to the story in John 8, where the woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus, and the, the, the religious people, the men, are standing around with stones in their hands, and they are waiting to see if Jesus will enforce the law that they should be stoned. Interestingly, no one asks, where is the man who is caught in adultery with this woman who also deserves to be stoned? Um, But what does Jesus do? He bends down on the ground and he begins writing in the ground. Nobody knows what he was doing there. There's a reference in Jeremiah about writing in the dirt. But maybe, and this leads people to think he was just writing the names of sin 
that different people standing around him would have. And he says, whoever has not sinned can throw the first stone. And then we read that the older men are the first to drop their stones because they know instantly, they know instantly they're, they're not sinless. And then eventually everybody drops their stone and walks away. And Jesus says, oh, they, do they not condemn you? Neither do I. And then he tells her to leave her life of sin. Now, this is a picture of mercy. This is all of what James is driving towards. This is a picture of mercy because he breaks down superiority, the feeling of superiority, the posture of superiority, and brings them to a place where they are on equal footing before the law, before the Lord, and... He does this knowing that he's going to go to the cross and he's the one who's going to pay the price for whatever this woman did and whatever all these other men standing around have done. He knows that he's going to go. So he is willing. He is understanding of the human condition and he is willing to put his mercy on that and to break this curse of favoritism. So how do we embrace this teaching? What do we do with this? How do we, how do we move ahead? I got four quick things. Number one, remember who we are. Remember who we are. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I was a despicable husband, an absent father, a self-absorbed, I was a loser. And before Jesus, so were you. So were you. You were lawbreakers. You were objects of wrath. You were broken. And he knew that. And he just wants to remind us that he comes in mercy. But like, let's remember what he did. Let's remember who we are and how much we need him before we start grading ourselves amongst ourselves on the bell curve, which he is saying doesn't exist. There's only him and us. Number two, forgive as a way of life. There may be, and, and, and I, would, I would say repent and forgive as a way of life because I've repented often this week and I've forgiven this week as well. He's inviting us to recognize that this is a problem And that we can forgive others who have slighted us. And we can ask them to forgive us for slighting them. And Matthew says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, in other words, if you keep 
judging and keep applying favoritism, putting yourself in a better light than others, your father will not forgive your sins. Right? So, number two is forgive as a way of life. Number three is engage outside our circles and love our neighbors. Get outside our own echo chambers. Listen to other people's stories. What are they facing? What are they facing? Mariel has a group on uh, first, uh, sorry, second Tuesdays where she invites a person of color to share their story so people from the majority culture, the white culture, can learn what this person has experienced. In all of these things, look for the heart. Paul Rasmussen was telling me about his experience with Ron Paul, politician, nationally known politician. But Ron Paul was also the obstetrician who delivered two of the Rasmussen children. They knew him extremely well as a devoted Christ follower. But when he came on the political scene, he got ripped to shreds. Uh, And in some cases, he got ripped to shreds uh, by the right or by the evangelicals. Uh, for some of his views. And Jesus is saying, look for the heart. Look for the heart. Paul may not have agreed with Ron Paul's politics, but Paul knew Ron Paul as a fellow follower of Jesus who could be respected for that. So remember, we will be judged by how we act towards others. In verse 12, James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Jesus would say, you know, take that pack an extra mile if that's what the soldier wants you to do. Turn the other cheek. And when the disciples wanted to turn down fire, call down fire on the enemy, Jesus said, no. No, remember, act according to how you're going to be judged. And finally, share the good news. Share the good news. The good news is there's mercy for our favoritism. There's mercy for the ways that we put ourselves above others. Your sins and my sins of favoritism can be forgiven. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. In the parable of the unforgiving servant, we learned what a jail that person put themselves in because they were unwilling to be merciful as they had been treated with mercy. Well, we have been shown mercy. We have been shown mercy by Jesus. And so all the more reason that we need to love mercy, to act justly, and to walk humbly with our God, which is what Micah said in chapter 6, verse 8. And then the whole passage comes to a crescendo where where James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God rejoices to take out judgment and put in mercy. Mercy to others defends us at the judgment seat. Judgment speaks as an accuser of others, as a separator, as a, as a rancor of people. Mercy does, does not respect that at all. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And that is the great antidote. 
And this is only possible because the one who speaks mercy was willing to go to the cross. The one who speaks mercy was willing to pay the price to set us free. So the worship team's going to come up and we're going to just spend some time this morning worshiping the Lamb of God who paid the price for our favoritism and for all of our other sin. And we're going to ask God to just make us make us the ministers of the new covenant. Make us those that have walked past favoritism into the mercy of God and be carriers of mercy. So who do I need to forgive this week? Who do I need to extend mercy to? Who do I need to include this week in what I am doing? How can I accept others as special and valued? How can I accept others the way Christ has accepted them? And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, if you're recognizing this morning that you need mercy for your sin, Jesus is here now, present with us, and is walking around this auditorium, and he wants to touch your life today. So the prayer teams are going to come up. We're going to worship God, and I'm going to pray. Father, Father, we are sorry for the ways that we favor others. We see today in a fresh light, Lord, how this sin destroys what you stand for. We ask forgiveness, Lord. We ask you to make us those that are purveyors of mercy, those that are, uh, Lord, accepting of every single person we run into. And if you need prayer this morning, if you want to give your life to Christ this morning, then I encourage you to go to the prayer teams and uh, let's worship God together.